Good morning, Grace Fellowship. My name is Pastor Byron, and I'm glad to be here this morning. You know, as I was beginning to study for this week's sermon, I looked up some past sermons that I'd done in November, and I found one from uh, the year 2000, 20 years ago. So we've been here for quite a long time. And for the past five years, I've been privileged to be able to bring the message to you right after Thanksgiving. And so today, I'd like to uh, share something with you from a book that I've been reading through the pandemic by Ron Mel. It's called Surprise Endings, 10 Good Things About Bad Things. And in this book, he lists 10 different bad things that we all go through, things like temptation, worry, storms, limitations, failures, loneliness, hard choices, delays, burdens, and death. And he shows us how God uses all of those bad things to bring good things into our lives. And so I felt in particular this teaching about delays, when God delays, would be something that we could learn from in the midst of this pandemic. And it all starts with a story about a man named Lazarus. And that's found in the book of John chapter 11. So if you would Open your Bibles to John chapter 11. You may want to read through the whole chapter uh, of John uh, chapter 11. But right now we're just going to pick up on verses 1 through 7 and then 14 and 15. And so it goes like this. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he ran right away. No. He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And then down in verse 14. And so finally, Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, for that so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So you see the story. Lazarus was dying, and his sisters had called to Jesus for him to come for help. This was a life or death situation, and they needed Jesus now. But as we see, Jesus delays. He doesn't come right away. The Bible says that he loved them, and yet he waited before coming to them. He waits at least two days before finally coming, and probably even more if you include the travel time from where he was to Bethany. And in verse 4, he says that the delay will work out for the glory of God so that Jesus would be glorified. Jesus knows what will happen when he finally gets to Lazarus, 
After waiting several days, Jesus goes and knowing that he had already died, probably days before. In verse 15, he tells us that he has a purpose behind his delay, that the disciples might believe. You know, most delays that we face are just a matter of inconvenience. You know, waiting in a traffic jam, waiting for a check to come in the mail, waiting for your car at the shop. But for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, it was a matter of life or death. Why was Jesus delaying? They thought he would come quickly. Why didn't he? One day went by. Two days went by. Three days went by. Four days went by. And nothing happened. That's the kind of waiting that goes deeper than just inconvenience. It's a profound kind of waiting that pulls at your heart, like waiting for a pink slip or waiting for critical lab results, waiting for a loved one who is sick with COVID. Where is the Lord? Why doesn't he come? Why does he delay? You know, imagine your child being stuck by, struck by a car in front of your house, and you go into the house, and you pick up the phone, and you dial 911, and it rings, and it rings, and it rings, and no one answers. That's what Mary and Martha were going through. They'd called for emergencies, and no one came. But they were about to learn something very critical a critical password about life with Christ, and that's patience. Patience or long-suffering is a fruit of the Spirit that has to be grown in our lives. You know, fruit takes time. It takes uh, cultivation to come to maturity. It takes two to three years for a fruit tree even to begin to bear fruit. In Philippians 4.11, Paul says that he had learned to be content in any circumstance. We have to learn to be content. We Patience takes time as well. It has to be learned. And the curriculum that God uses for us to learn patience is trials. Let's turn to James chapter 1 and look at verses 2 through 4. It says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, perseverance, patience, and let that patience have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There's a purpose behind that. There's a purpose behind why God allows us to go through those trials. God is perfecting his people, an immeasurably good thing for you and for me, but it takes time. It's something that God grows in you as you walk with him day by day. In the last month, Pastor Doug has been sharing about how we need to develop our vertical relationship with God. We need to walk with him in patience. We need to wait with him in the midst of delays. God allows us to go through those various trials to develop our patience in our character. When he delays or lingers, he has a plan to teach us something about himself and his heart. What else is God teaching Mary and Martha and us 
about why he allows us to experience delays in our life? Well, I think another thing he teaches us is about his timing. He teaches us about his timing. And later on in chapter 11 of of John, Mary wondered why Jesus had delayed. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But you know, Jesus came at just the right time. Not a moment before, not a moment after the time that God had intended. It said that ancient Jewish belief about death said that the body, the soul, hovered over the body that was in the grave for three days before finally ascending up into heaven, waiting to come back into the body if by some manner. You know, Jesus waited four days just to show them that he had complete power over death. He didn't just heal a sick man. (laughs) He miraculously raised Lazarus after four days in the grave. And this miracle had a rippling effect throughout Bethany and Jerusalem. Many people believed. If you look at the end of the chapter, many people believed. And even going into the next chapter, it says that the the leaders of, of the Jerusalem council got together and they determined that they had to take care of Jesus. This whole miracle had some lasting effects that, that God wanted to, to show us. You know, God has an amazing deferred benefit plan. Think about this. Simeon waited three quarters of a century, 75 years, to just hold the baby Jesus in his arms. And then he was content to go. Abraham waited 25 years for the birth of Isaac, the promised son. Joseph waited 13 years to be delivered from slavery and prison. The benefits of trusting the Lord may be deferred, but they're always worth the wait. God may seem slow, but he is never late. When difficult trials come, wait on the Lord and see his salvation. The third thing I think we can learn from delays is to praise him in the midst of it. This last month, I read a story in our Daily Bread about a couple named Nina and Mark. They moved to Jefferson City at God's nudging. They wanted to uh, open up a ministry in the inner city. So they bought a house and they were renovating it so they could begin to move in and begin their ministry with us in the city. And then came the storm. After the storm went by, Mark wrote a message, a text message to his friends. He said, we had a surprise this morning. The tornado that came through Jefferson City took out our renovation down to sticks and bricks. God is up to something. Wow. In spite of losing everything, Mark praised the Lord for making something good come out of this bad thing. You know, there's another person in the Bible who had his life reduced to sticks and bricks. You know him, right? Job. And in Job 121, you can see how he reacted to having everything taken away from him. He lost everything in a short time, and yet he praised the Lord in the midst. It says in Job 121, 
Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, our lives can swiftly be reduced to sticks and bricks, financially, relationally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, but God is mightier than any storm. Surviving life's trials requires a faith that's focused on him, a faith that enables us to say with Job and others, may the name of the Lord be praised. Feeling helpless doesn't mean that everything is hopeless. Lord, teach us to trust you more than our own feelings. Last week, we were able to watch a live stream concert by Danny Gokey and friends. And one of the songs by his friend Evan Kraft spoke about praising God in difficult times. And it, it really touched my heart. And I want to share a video of that now. It's called Be All Right by Evan Kraft with Danny Gokey. Let's listen. There's a name that can silence every fear. There's a love that embraces the heartache, the pain, and the tears. Through my faith and my doubting, I know one thing for sure. His word is unfailing. His promise secure. Don't know I'll start again. Everything will be alright. Whole world's in his hands. Your whole world's in his hands. In the darkness and the trials, he's faithful and he is true. The whole world's in his hands. You don't want to stop yet. Oh, 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 oh. everything will be alright. Father, you say everything's gonna be alright But my circumstances say I won't last through the night I need your word to hold me now, I need you to pull me through I need a miracle, a breakthrough, I need you They say you hold the whole universe in your hand But my world's falling apart like it is made of sand Am I small enough to slip through the cracks? Can you take my broken pieces and put them back? Give me faith, you believe you are on my side Open my eyes and see you working in my life let the past remind me you'd never fail And tell my soul it is well Oh, Everything will be alright The whole world's in his hands Your whole world's in his hands In the darkness, in the trials He's faithful and he's true Your whole world's in his hands Everything, oh, oh, everything will be alright. Oh, 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 oh,
Que todo es muy incierto en este desierto Mi vulnerabilidad está al descubierto Siento que mi barca está muy lejos de su puerto ¿Por qué será que ya no sale el sol en mis días? ¿Por qué mis noches son tan frías? ¿Por qué será que siento que me falta algo? ¿Por qué este camino gris se siente tan largo? Sé que está sobrando aunque no te sienta Sé que está sobrando aunque no te vea Sé que voy a salir de esta odisea Sé que voy a ganar esta pelea Sé que va a cesar esta marea temporaria Que en ti yo viviré una vida extraordinaria Que aunque no pueda entender Me consuela saber que Todo, yo sé que Todo va a estar bien Todo va a estar bien Everything will be alright The whole world's in his hands Your whole world's in his hands In the darkness, in the trials He's faithful and he's true Your whole world's in his hands You don't want to start again Oh, 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 oh. Everything will be alright got the whole world in his hands he's got the whole world in his hands he's got the whole wide world in his hands todo el mundo en su mano está todo el mundo en su mano está todo el mundo en su mano está I loved it. Wasn't that great? When God delays, we can know that everything will be all right. In the darkness and in the trials, he is faithful and he is true. The whole world's in his hands. Everything will be all right. Praise the Lord in the midst of his delays. Here's the last thing that I believe God is teaching us when he delays. He teaches us about stewardship. While we're waiting for God, we need to make the most of every opportunity. Galatians 6.10 says it this way. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And then 1 Peter 4.10 says this. As each one of us has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve one another as faithful stewards of God's grace. I think another of Danny Gokey's song when it came to my mind there too was Love God and Love People. It kind of resonates through the idea of being a good steward of God's grace. And over the past month, Pastor Doug and Pastor Dave have encouraged us not only to develop that relationship with God, but to reach out to each other. To, it's critical when we have to wait for us to use our gifts to serve one another. 
to find creative ways to love one another. When we're, we're, when we're faced with situations we cannot directly affect, like the election, COVID, the economy, we need to approach it with more love. In the face of oppression, we love. In the face of anger, we love. In the face of violence, we love. Most of us would agree that debt is never really a good thing to have. But did you know that the Bible actually says for us to be in debt and to stay that way? Romans 13, 8 in the NIV says it this way. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. We need to continually love people. Love God and love people. I read the daily guideposts every day, and Rick Hamlin is one of the writers in there. He, he wrote about being the answer to someone's prayer. He sent an email to a colleague suggesting that another writer would be a, could be used in an upcoming workshop, and would she contact her for him? And later, he received an email from that writer telling him that he had been an answer to a prayer that she had prayed just this morning. And he wondered, how many times do we unwittingly turn out to be someone's answered prayer? How often are we? We send an email, maybe have lunch with a friend, you're in a listening ear, or a port in the storm. You recommend a good book to somebody. You buy a card. You share a devotional. Maybe you just had a long rambling conversation that you're not really sure made a scrap of difference. But it turns out that you said just the right thing at the right time. You may not have known it at the time. And sometimes we never find out. Sometimes we do. Time and time again, I believe you have been someone's answered prayer. My wife continues to excel in this through her ministry of encouragement. God has given her that gift to be able to send cards and letters. And uh, time after time, she's had people write back saying, you know, that card came at just the right time, and it said just what I needed it to say. My wife is an answered prayer in more ways than one. And I want to conclude today's sermon by sharing another story about being an answered prayer. This is about a guy named Roger Sims. He had just left the military and he was anxious to take off his uniform once and for all. He was hitchhiking home, flashing a thumb to an oncoming car. He lost hope when he saw a shiny black new car with a temporary license plate in the back. Hardly the type of car that would stop for a hitchhiker. But to his amazement, the car stopped and the passenger door opened. He ran toward the car and he slid into the leather front seat. He was greeted by the friendly smile of a handsome older gentleman with gray hair. Hello, son. Are you on leave or are you going home for good? I just got out of the army, he said, and I'm going home for the first time in several years. Well, you're lucky if you're going to Chicago, smiled the man. Not quite that far, said Roger, but my home is on the way. Do you live there, mister? 
Hanover. Yes, I have a business there. And with that, they were on their way. After giving each other brief life histories and talking about everything under the sun, Roger, who was a Christian, felt a strong compulsion to witness to Mr. Hanover about Christ. But witnessing to an elder, wealthy businessman who seemed to have everything was kind of a scary prospect. Roger kept putting it off and putting it off, but as he neared his destination, he realized it was now or never. Mr. Hanover, I'd like to talk to you about something very important. And then he proceeded to explain the way of salvation, ultimately asking Mr. Hanover if he would like to receive Christ as his Lord and Savior. To Roger's astonishment, the big car pulled over to the side of the road. Roger thought for a moment that (laughs) Mr. Hanover might be trying to throw him out of the car. But then a strange and wonderful thing happened. The businessman bowed his head to the steering wheel, and he began to cry, affirming that he did indeed want to accept Jesus as his Savior. He thanked Roger for talking to him, and he said, this is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. He then dropped Roger at his home, and he traveled on to Chicago. About five years went by, and Roger got married, he had a child, and he started a business of his own. And one day, while packing for a business trip to go to Chicago, he came across that small business card that Mr. Hanover had given him years earlier. When Roger arrived in Chicago, he looked up Hanover Enterprises and found it located downtown in a tall building, uh, important-looking building. The receptionist, however, said it would be impossible for him to see Mr. Hanover. But if that he were an old friend, he would be able to see Mrs. Hanover. A little disappointed, he was led into a poshly decorated office where a woman in her 50s sat behind a huge desk. She extended her hand. You knew my husband? Roger explained how Mr. Hanover had been kind enough to give him a ride back home. Can you tell me what date that was, she asked. Sure. It was May 7th, five years ago, the day I was discharged from the army. She asked, did anything special happen on your ride? Anything unusual? Roger hesitated. Should he mention giving his witness? Had it been some source of contention between the two, resulting in a marital breakup? But once again, he felt the prompting of the Lord to be truthful. Mrs. Hanover, your husband accepted the Lord. I explained the gospel to him, and he pulled over to the side of the road and wept, and then chose to pray a prayer of salvation. Suddenly, she began to sob uncontrollably. After several minutes, she regained enough control to explain what had happened. She said, I grew up in a Christian home, but my husband did not. I'd been praying for my husband's salvation for many years, and I believed that God would save him. But just after he left, let you out of his car on May 7th, five years ago, he passed away in a horrible head-on collision. He never arrived home. 
And I thought that God had not kept his promise. And I stopped living for the Lord five years ago because I blamed him for not keeping his word. Praise God. Roger Sims was faithful and was an answer to someone's prayer. I can identify with Mrs. Hanover. Perhaps you can too. There are long, lonely stretches of life when it seems as if God is delaying and simply becoming indifferent towards our plight and apathetic to our prayers. But the reality is that He is working everything for our good. When God delays, He's teaching us about patience, waiting on the Lord. He's teaching us about His timing, His deferred benefit plan. He's teaching us how to praise Him in the darkest hour, teaching us to make the most of every opportunity, teaching us to become someone's answered prayer, teaching us to love God and love people. And when we learn these lessons, we know that everything will be all right. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that when you delay, Lord, you have a purpose. You're wanting to change us. You're wanting to do immeasurably more in us than that negative thing can do to us. And so, Father, I thank you for teaching us today. I thank you for this word. I pray, Lord, that it is ministered to hearts, that it, that it resonates in lives of people, Lord, who are listening to this right now. Father, we turn our lives to you. We thank you for who you are and what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.